Welcome to The Manager Track, the leadership podcast where we help ambitious managers across the ranks become confident and competent leaders people love to work for. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how to win in office politics. Now, if you heard my previous episode, episode number eight on how to be visible in a remote work environment, then this is sort of part two on the topic of how to expand your network and leverage your network to your benefit. If you haven't yet to listen to episode number eight, then I highly recommend that you go back to episode number eight after you finish this episode right now. So here is all the good stuff that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what office politics really means, what it looks like, why so many people are hesitant about it or struggle with it, how to reframe it to use it to your advantage. We're going to talk about some specific steps and action items that you can do right away to get better at this thing called office politics and take charge of your careers by mastering it. Lastly, we're going to talk about what to do if you have some difficult people in your workplace and how to handle those best. That's what we have in store for today's episode. And of course, I'm going to give you a downloadable as well. So stick around to find out what that surprise is that I have ready for you. Okay. So let's zoom out. There are three pillars of managing. Pillar number one is managing yourself. In most things that you do in your job, you have to manage yourself first. Now, the second pillar or circle around that is managing your team. I don't think there's much more to say. You're listening to this podcast because you either want to be a manager or you are managing. So managing your team is a big component. But the third pillar or that circle around managing yourself and managing your team is managing your network. And this is what so many people overlook and forget. And especially highly ambitious new managers who are focused on the skills of managing themselves, being high performers, and then managing their team. The thing that they forget most often is that last aspect of managing their network. And I'm saying this because I see this often as a derailer. Now, a derailer is something that you did not anticipate. You have a career plan or a career path, but something is getting in the way and it derails you from the path to achieving your goals. So forgetting about managing your network is a derailer for a lot of new managers. Now let's zoom in a little bit. Let's define what office politics really means. So we refer to office politics as the use of power in social networking within an organization to achieve changes that benefit the organization or the individuals within it. And this is exactly where so many people see this wrong. It is not just about the individuals. It is just as much about, about the organization. And I'm saying this specifically because if you're looking at office politics as this egocentric, narcissistic, uh, fake, shady or slimy thing that you have to deal with, then you're a lot more likely to retract to avoid it or ignore it completely. 
In fact, if I look at a number of different research pieces out there on the office politics, about 20% of respondents in general, plus minus, depending on what the source is, say that they completely try to ignore office politics. And about 60% say that they play the game reluctantly and do it or get involved only when really necessary. So think about this. When you have this hesitation in being part of something that you consider fake or shady or inauthentic or egocentric or only the braggers are part of it, if that's the thought that you hold about office politics, then no wonder you don't feel good about it and you don't want to participate, right? Remember this thing, your thought triggers your feelings and your feelings will trigger your actions. So in order to win in office politics, you have to change your thought, your mindset about what office politics is and what it means and what it does to you, your career and the organization at large. If you start liking office politics because you think it's interesting, it's fun, it's exciting, it's challenging and you like it because of that then your feelings are going to change. And because now you're more excited about it and you're more open to it, you're more interested about it, you're more likely to engage with it because you're not building up those barriers of like, ugh, ugly, don't want to deal with it, I'm just going to ignore it, it is so annoying. That's the mindset, you're not going to get there. And it's going to hold you back. And when I say that again, the derailer, means that you're not going to get to your career goals as fast as you could. You're going to slow your progress down. You're likely going to slow down your career growth. And you're not as impactful in the organization as you could be if you were to go full in, play it, and play it your way. And I specifically say play it your way because one of those hesitations that often comes up is, well, this is just so inauthentic and I don't want to be that way. That's just not me. It's not how I want to be seen or behave in the workplace. Then let's pause for a second. No one is saying that you should be inauthentic just because you have the one guy in an organization who's the lobbyist or the one guy who's the credit taker or the one guy who is the flatterer. Just because you observe them does not mean that you need to be one of them and that that's the only way to play the game of office politics. That is not true. It's a false belief. And if you hold that belief, then I want to encourage you to challenge that belief. Look around in your network, people that you know of in your field who are inspiring leaders, people that you've worked with in the past who have done this with grace. There is such a thing as doing office politics with grace. And I want you to do office politics with grace in no other way. And when you do that, then that is an authentic way of showing up. And when you embrace it, and you're the one who's in the driver's seat, you shape your career and you get the things done that you need to get done and you'll reach your goals and the next level in your career way faster. 
So I've given you a little bit of a lead in here because when we talk about step number one in how to win office politics and do so gracefully, right? That first step is all about improving your self-awareness. And that means to better understand your own strength and your competencies. So yes, in my work with clients, this is a huge part because once you're crystal clear on your strength and your competencies, but also your blind spots, you'll be way more effective. And knowing those and owning them with confidence will make it also a lot easier to talk about them to others. Do not hold back. Do not shy away from it. So that's step number one. Step number two to win in office politics is to find out who in your organization needs to know you and needs to know your strengths and competencies. And now this is an easy thing to say, but that's actually a big piece of work. And I don't want to scare you away, nor am I saying, oh my God, this is hours of work. No, but it takes a conscious effort to sit down and write down the names of people that you want to influence, the names of people who you want to have a better relationship with, the names of people who will have a say about your next promotion or who will be involved in identifying employees who will be right for that, other, for that next opportunity or a new project. So who are those people? Yes, it's your boss. That's, of course, one of them. And it's usually your boss's peers. And then take a good look of who else it is in your organization with whom you should have a better relationship with. And map it all out. I also like to color code it. So if you feel this relationship is intact, I'm doing really well, we're getting along well, I know that person well, I know their goals and I know their preferences, then that's a green line. If you think that person knows me, knows of me, but I don't think they quite know my strength yet and my competencies, and I don't know them so well, then that's an orange. Now, if you know nothing about them, and they know nothing about you other than possibly the name, then that is a red line. And those are exactly the relationships with the biggest potential. So map this out. Ideally, you identify 10 to 20 people in the organization. And yes, your charm may have dropped as I said that number. But I'm serious. It cannot be just your boss and a couple of other people. Go broad. Expand. Think of other departments, think of other teams, go up the ladder, possibly go down the ladder in ways that someone may be an informal leader, an informal influencer, or a really strong connector that you want to connect with more so. This could be an IC, an individual contributor, but that relationship could prove to be beneficial in the long term. So write down all the names. Mark them with green, orange, or red, depending on the relationship. And as you've probably noticed, they are consciously three stages. Because that other person knows your name and what you do or what your role is. They also know that you are nice. And then they know your strength and competencies. When these three items are met, then that's a green relationship. 
Now, if the other person only knows your name and possibly your role, and they know that you're nice, they like you, but they don't know much more about you, then that's the orange line. Now, if they know nothing about you, or they might just know your name and your role or your title, then that is a red line because you're missing the other two parts of it. They don't really know you and they can't really say if they like or dislike you. So I hope you got this. These three items define the state of your relationship and will also tell you where to focus on most. So now let's get to the juicy part. This is where I'm going to talk to you about specific action items that you can take to get better at winning the game of office politics. So step number one, I'm going to recap what we just talked about because step number one is to be strategic. That means you have that map in place and you know exactly who those people are on your map and you know the state of the relationship. Number two is that you actually invest in developing and nurturing those relationships. And the most important part about this is to get to know the other person. And so here's a little surprise I have for you. There is a list called a McKay 66. When you visit www.ramonashaw.com forward slash podcast, you will find today's podcast and linked on the podcast page, which you, by the way, will find in the show notes you'll find the McKay 66 customer profile. Now the McKay 66 customer profile was created by Harvey McKay, who was a salesman, an author, and an entrepreneur who created a list of 66 questions when he was very young and he was leading the sales team. And he asked all of his salespeople to have all these 66 questions about each and every single customer filled out by the end of the year. Now, those 66 questions are pretty broad. And yes, they go into past career, they go into family, they go even into religion. Why? Because we're all in the business of people. We are talking to people, we're working with people and people, we got to look at it holistically. We got to really get to know the other person in order to build a deep relationship. Now, bear in mind, you could never use this for any interviews because the questions here would not pass and you'd be exposed to a potential lawsuit. And you should also not use this as an actual interview questionnaire and then interrogate the other person. But this customer profile is a great tool to keep in mind what are the things I want to find out about this other person. And yes, of course, the people on your list are likely not the customers in the traditional sense, but they're sort of, but they're kind of your customers in the way that you need to sell to them still You're constantly selling, you're selling your own strength, your competencies, and you're selling yourself. We do this day in and day out. So have an open mindset, download the resource, and use it as an inspiration to figure out what are some of the questions and topics that you want to demonstrate interest in and find out about the other person. As a side note, a lot of this information you could research on their LinkedIn profile or through social media or the internet overall. So don't hesitate. Do your homework and research things in advance. Now you might ask, okay, great, but how do I get to know these people? Some very simple tips. When you walk into a meeting and assuming 
that we will one day be back in a physical meeting room because right now we're most of us are working remote and we're not going we're not mingling in a meeting room but one day when we're back in meeting rooms sit next to them use the minutes before or right after the meeting to chit chat to have personal conversations and to be curious then capture the information that you got sort of like filling out that customer profile you want to write this down Create a section of notes, either digitally or in your actual notebook, about each of the 10 to 20 people that you've identified as the key relationships, and then write down the answers to the questions so that you'll always remember the name of their husband or wives or their kids or their pet or whatever else that you're gathering. You're capturing this information so that you can bring it back into a conversation and check in. And that follow-up really will show that you care, that you remember, that you're invested. And this is what builds trust and what will nurture the relationship. Now, moving on to the third step. The third step is actually something you shouldn't do. The third step is about avoiding gossiping and complaining. It will not look good and it will likely backfire sooner or later. It'll make you less credible in your role. People will perceive you as less credible and less trustworthy. So avoid gossiping and extensive complaining at all costs. Maybe you have a deep relationship with your boss and it's a safe space to complain to your boss, but keep it between the two of you. Look for outside help, find a coach, find a mentor or a circle of friends or a support group where you have a safe space to complain if need be, but be really careful when doing so with other people in the organization. Step number four is another do not. Step number four is not to take sides. Now, why would you take sides? Well, it happens to pretty much everyone sooner or later. And you might even be smiling now because you know exactly what I'm talking about of being caught in the middle and then feeling like you need to take a side. This is part of being in a business of people dealing with people, being in an environment where many of us experience a lot of pressure and stress and we're emotionally invested. It's just natural. But when you're caught in the middle and someone is trying to influence you to take a side, be aware, empathize with the other person about the problem or the challenge. Feel free to explain to them the impact this has on you or for you to be in the middle and how that feels for you to be stuck in the middle or feeling like you're pressured to take a side. Set boundaries. Tell them what is okay or what is not okay. If they bring your opinion into meetings where you're not there and you feel like it's being misinterpreted, you can say, hey, look, I would really like to be my own voice. So next time where you feel my opinion would be important to bring into the conversation, feel free to just slack me or message me or call me into the conference so I can speak for myself. So feel free to add that in and then focus on solutions rather than sort of validating someone in their complaints or even gossiping. Stop, you know, you empathize and then move on into solutions whenever you can. It's like trying, let's get in the right directions. We're always here to create solutions. Step number five is to consistently focus on being effective versus being right. So when you notice you're engaged in a conflict or in a disagreement, 
remember that in order to navigate office politics gracefully, refrain from going onto that personal level and trying to be right and convince the other person. Remember that the main goal is to drive value for the organization, to do the right thing that moves your company and your team forward. Your career and career progression has to come second because you cannot because you cannot move your career forward without adding value to the organization or by doing things that actually hurt the organization. That's not at all what we want to do. So value and progress for the organization comes first and your career will naturally move in the same direction, assuming that you are demonstrating your strength and capabilities to the right people and that you nurture those relationships all along. And that brings me to step number six. When you think that office politics will help create win-win solutions, there wouldn't be a single reason why not to embrace office politics, right? So I'm going back to the very beginning where I said, you got to embrace this. If office politics is there to create win-wins, then what are you waiting for, right? But you have to be driving that and you're controlling this in the way that you show up. So thinking of this, step number six of creating win-wins, that makes me want to ask you, how are you going to play office politics? What are your three personal statements or three behavioral norms that you define for yourself on what office politics looks like for you, the authentic way, the win-win kind of way, and the impactful way. For example, you could say, the way I play office politics is all about giving first. The way I play office politics is all about looking for the positive. The way I play office politics is to promote and drive what's best for the organization These little mantras will help you get comfortable with office politics because you're now defining the rules. You're setting your standards, right? You're not playing someone else's game. You're saying, this is how I'm going to do it and this is how I'm going to leverage it because I'm in the driver's seat. Okay, I hope you got this. Write this down and then after the episode or pause for a moment, write down what those statements are for you. So as promised in the beginning, I will also talk about the four types of difficult people in the context of office politics. So when I look at my own experience with office politics and with the many, many conversations that I have with my coaching clients and the members of the leadership circle, then in most cases, conversations about negative office politics boil down to one of these four types of people who make it really hard. The first one is the gossiper. Yes, this person is the one who knows everything that's happening around the office and isn't afraid to share every last detail with anyone. They love spelling secrets to coworkers or sharing confidential information. And you got to be sharp when talking to these type of people. Make sure that your conversations include only things that you're comfortable sharing with everyone. If whatever you're sharing would be blasted on social media, you would be okay with, then you're okay with the gossiper. This is also the person that you want to be aware of. They gossip to you. How are you going to respond? And think about this in advance, right? You might have already done this. And I bet we've all been in the situations where we've been on the 
on of sort of the receiving end of someone else dropping gossip when am I going to stop what am I going to say so I'm not participating in gossip you will not do yourself any favor in your leadership career or career overall if you participate in gossip in a workplace it is not going to help there's no win in this so what will you say to stop that other person Think about it in advance before it happens or think about it now so that next time it happens, you already have the answer there. So that is the gossiper. Number two is the credit thief. Now, this person will do whatever it takes to get ahead and it sometimes means they will take credit for someone else's idea. Now, some people do this unconsciously. They're not actually aware of it. They feel that they were part of the work or they feel that they were actually the one who brought up the idea. Some of them are really aware of it and do this consciously, but others are not. Either way, if you have someone like this in your environment, then your move is to provide your boss and your manager or even those other people that are important to you frequent updates so that they never get confused about who should be getting credit for your work. There's not going to be a benefit of doubt because you've kept them updated. The third person I want to address is the flatterer. The flatterer is a person who passes out compliments left and right and you're not quite sure if they're all genuine or if they're just there to win people over. In this case, flatterers are usually well-known. People work with them, you know, <laughs> a couple weeks even, a couple months and they get the idea okay, this person just get, passes out compliments um, all the time. I'm going to just take everything with a grain of salt. I'm not going to put too much weight on it. So this is typically not a person you need to worry about because it's an obvious behavior and it's also not a particularly negative behavior. But just, just be aware. Now, the fourth person is the saboteur. The saboteur is the one who only works to benefit him or herself. They're usually critical of others and they're not afraid to throw anyone under the bus. They also typically shy away from taking responsibility for their own mistakes. They're more of the finger pointers, right? When you're working with someone like that, it's good to stop them, to set your boundaries, to say like, hey, this wasn't okay. Um, I did not appreciate this. To really give them that feedback, even if it feels uncomfortable. The more you let them run and get away with it, the more they will do it. So you have to stop it. And if stopping is not working or you giving feedback is not working, then keep track of it, write it down, have a conversation with your boss about it and possibly involve HR. So those are the four types of people you want to be aware of and particular strategies on how to navigate those best. And with all that said, I want to do a quick recap. So we dove in, into this episode talking about the importance of reframing your perception of office politics. Once you start embracing it, seeing it as win-wins and seeing how you can set your own rules and show up gracefully in your organization with your personal norms and behavioral standards that you want to demonstrate, then there's nothing that will hold you back. Your positive thoughts will create positive feelings and that will create the positive actions. Remember that if you're not being part of the game and you ignore it 
or you don't want to participate because of the, all the bad talk that you're telling yourself about office politics, you're likely missing out on opportunities and you're slowing your career progression down. It is not a win. Once you're in a driver's seat, get really clear on your strengths and competences. And if you're not sure about this and you don't feel confident about it, then I highly encourage you to do some work on this, be this with a coach or otherwise. Then once you have this understanding, then map out those different relationships, assess where you need to invest more, get to know the people, invest in, nurture those relationships. I typically say, give, give, give before you ask in return, right? Three gifts before asking for anything back. Then avoid gossip, limit complaining to safe spaces, uh, be aware of taking sides and then focus on being effective versus trying to be right. And remember that all this is to create win-wins for you, for the other person, and most importantly, for the organization that you work for and the value that you can bring to that organization to help them progress and achieve the goals. Lastly, we also talked about the four difficult people. And don't forget to hop over to the podcast show notes where you can access McKay66 customer profile to get some ideas on all the different questions that you could ask to get to know people better. And remember to take notes on those answers and to do your own research to augment all that information that you get out of conversations. And that concludes the episodes on office politics. I hope that you feel inspired to challenge your own thoughts about it, to embrace it, to run with it, to take that driver's seat so that you can shape your career and get the things that you want and to go further, faster. I'm signing off and I'll talk to you next week. If you love this show, then you love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.